Welcome to the Cleaning and Crime Podcast. My name is Elise, and if you're wondering about the name, (laughs) I love to listen to true crime while I clean. So because cleaning and true crime are my two loves, I've combined the two. And every week I post a new whole house cleaning motivation video on my YouTube channel, See Elise. And in the corner of the video, I'm in a little bubble telling you about a true crime case that's interesting to me. So cleaning and crime. But for some, the cleaning footage is too distracting. Or some people just prefer to listen to their true crime and not watch it. If you want to check out the video version of today's story, be sure to check out my YouTube channel and you'll find a playlist of all of my cleaning and crime episodes. But if you just came here for the crime and not the cleaning, you're in the right place. I'm uploading my older episodes of cleaning and crime in podcast form. And once all the old ones are up and I'm caught up, my upload schedule will be weekly, the same day the video version goes up on YouTube. Some of the earlier episodes do have slightly lower sound quality than the newer episodes, and that's just reflective of improving my skills as I went, but also, in the beginning, I only ever intended for these to be videos. So as the episodes progress, hopefully you'll notice the sound quality improving. Trigger warning, this is a true crime podcast. Some episodes may be disturbing to some listeners. Be sure to check the show notes for each episode for specific trigger warnings. Thank you for listening. Enjoy. Today's true crime case is about Alaskan serial killer Robert Hansen, a.k.a. the Butcher Baker. I just hate serial killer names from the 70s and 80s. Like, he was a baker, but he didn't, like, butcher anyone, and he didn't kill anybody in his bakery. He didn't turn anybody into muffins. So, like, what? He was a complete monster, though. So, let me tell you about him while I clean my house. Okay? Cool. Robert Hansen's story is super interesting to me because he's not one of the big, well-known American serial killers, but he was freaking prolific. He was busy sexually assaulting at least 31 women and killing at least 21 women. That's a lot of people. And I feel like not many people know about this guy. I recently watched the 2013 movie, The Frozen Ground with Nicolas Cage and John Cusack and Vanessa Hudgens. It's a pretty okay movie. Watching the movie made me want to like research this case more so that I could talk about the case here. And it's, it's yikes. Robert Hansen was born in Iowa, red flag. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He was born in Esterville, Iowa on February 15th, 1939. And in 1949, the family settled in Pocahontas, Iowa. Robert's father, Christian, was a baker. He owned a bakery in town. And Robert was forced to work like a ton of hours at the bakery when he was a kid. Like he would have to get there at like two in the morning and work until school and then go to school where he would often fall asleep in class. So his grades suffered. And then he would have to go back to work at the bakery after school until dark to get ready for the next day at the bakery. Brutal. As a kid, Robert was painfully shy. He had a stutter. He had severe acne all over his face that left his face permanently scarred even into adulthood. And not only did his father force him to work at the bakery, he also forced him to be right-handed. And his dad was like, no, 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 no. I can't have a left-handed weirdo kid. You're right-handed. Robert said that the stress and anxiety of learning to be right-handed when he was really left confused his young brain so much and he believes it made his stutter worse, but he was mercilessly teased in school. And in his teen years, he just did not receive the attention that he wanted from the attractive girls in school. So he just went full incel and grew up hating women. And he had violent fantasies about getting revenge against the women who rejected him in his life. 
uh-oh. So Robert was a loner as an adolescent and a teen. He just preferred to be alone. He would throw knives out in the backyard by himself. And he also found an escape in archery and hunting, which were his favorite pastimes. In his late teens, Robert became a volunteer firefighter and he also joined the junior police force. And then after high school in 1957, he joined the US Army Reserves and went to basic training. And Robert actually did really well in basic training. He really responded well to the regimented lifestyle. After basic, he went back to Pocahontas, Iowa. And because he was on the junior police force before he left, he kind of assumed he could just go back to the way things were when he returned. But he was 19 when he came back. And so they were like, no, you can't. You're too old now. And also you're too odd. So... So Robert, to his incredible disappointment, had to go back to work with his dad at the bakery again. But he did also remain a volunteer firefighter. Things did start to turn around a little bit when Robert met a young woman and they got married in 1960. But finding love was not enough to heal his wounds from his childhood bullying. And Robert still wanted revenge on those who had wronged him. So he naturally recruited a 16-year-old bakery employee to help him burn down the school bus garage, which he did to get revenge for his unpopularity in high school. Cringe. And since Robert was still a volunteer firefighter, he actually fled the scene and then put on his gear and went back to the fire and helped fight the blaze that he had started himself. Unhinged. But it was a good cover and nobody suspected him and he almost got away with it, but the 16-year-old boy that he recruited to help couldn't handle his guilty conscience, and he let it slip that he was involved in the fire and that Robert was the ringleader. So Robert was arrested in December of 1960 for starting the fire. Robert served 20 months of a three-year prison sentence, and while he was incarcerated, he was diagnosed with manic depression and periodic schizophrenic episodes. The psychiatrist that diagnosed Robert also noted his infantile personality and his obsession to get revenge against those who had wronged him. Robert's new wife filed for divorce almost immediately upon him being arrested. So that marriage was over as quick as it had begun. And Robert ended up being paroled after 20 months because he managed to convince the psychiatrists that his violent fantasies about women just went away, which was a lie, but he knew he wasn't gonna get paroled if he kept being honest. After his release, Robert remarried in 1963 to a woman named Darla. And over the next few years, Robert really channeled all of his criminal urges into stealing shit. He got a huge rush and often sexual gratification from stealing. And he did get caught many times, but he often got away with it or was only given a teeny tiny punishment because his father, Christian, was such a well-respected baker family man and business owner. There's no way this awesome baker's son could be a thief. That's crazy. Robert's wife, Darla, ended up graduating from college with a degree in special education. And in 1967, they moved together to Anchorage, Alaska for a fresh start and a change of scenery. Really good hunting up there. And it seemed like Alaska was the place for Robert. He was thriving. He got a job at a bakery and then he threw himself into hunting. He was breaking local hunting records left and right. He hunted a really big trophy doll sheep. Apparently that was a big deal, I don't know. And from 69 to 71, some of his bow hunting kills were in the Pope and Young world record books. So I think it's safe to say he was really good at hunting. His house was full of heads. So obviously his life was great. He turned his life around. He became a contributing member of society and his life was awesome, the end. 
I'm kidding, he's a murderer. 1971, Darla gets pregnant with their first of two children and they bought a nice little house to raise their family and from the outside looking in, everything was normal. He was a wonderful family man. But under cover of darkness, Robert would explore his darker fantasies, which was actually super easy in the early 70s in Anchorage, Alaska. At this time in Alaska, there was a Trans-Alaska pipeline being built. Men and workers from all over came up for a good job opportunity, for a chance to make some good money. And because there were so many dudes up there working, this also created an influx of young women from the lower 48 coming up for their own job opportunity and a chance to make extra money. You know what I'm saying. And not far from where the pipeline was being built, you would find the Tenderloin District, which I guess is supposed to sound sexy. <laughs> I guess a Tenderloin does kind of look like a penis. The area was run by a crime boss and it spread down 4th Avenue and that's where all the naughty naughty stuff that people like to do after dark went down. And it was really naughty. So 4th Avenue was full of dance clubs, topless bars, lots of establishments with back rooms, you know what I'm saying? Peep shows, magazine stands that were full of child pornography. And there were booming businesses here like Arctic Fox, Wild Cherry, Booby Trap, great name, but my favorite, The Great Alaskan Bush Company. Excellent name, no notes. The area was hopping, full of men that were ready to throw cash and throw down, and they were not looking at each other. They were looking at boobies, and so it was really easy for an average looking white dude like Robert to just blend in, go to the strip clubs, and look for vulnerable young women. So old Robbie started heading to Fourth Avenue frequently, and he became a regular at a lot of these topless bars. Unfortunately, Robert was actually approached in these clubs very often, because all these women just described him as the perfect dork. He looked completely non-threatening. He was thin, he was short, he had slightly red hair, the glasses, the acne-scarred skin, the stutter. So in a sea of big working dudes holding wads of cash, it's natural to seek out a customer that looks safe to you. But Jesus, talk about a wolf in sheep's clothing. So when Robert was just starting out, he would simply hire these sex workers and he would act out his rape fantasies. It would take several years before he graduated to actual rape and several years after that before he graduated to murder. There were several women that actually went to police to warn them that Robert Hansen was a whack job. They would tell the police that they were starting to feel unsafe with him, that he was escalating in his fantasies, getting more violent. They were worried that he was going to actually rape someone soon and they were getting like, you know, serial killer vibes from the guy. But police, not shockingly at all, were like, you're a sex worker. He paid you, you did sex. What, what do you want from us? And this will be a running theme throughout the story. Oh, you're a sex worker? Well, then we don't care. You don't matter. Yikes. And these women, of course, were absolutely correct. He did escalate. And in November, 1971, Robert spotted a woman at the bakery he worked at, a customer, and he was like, oh damn, she is very cute. I simply must talk to her. So when you see a pretty girl, you wanna ask her on a date, what do you do? You follow her home like a creepy weirdo. <laughs> so Robert saw 18-year-old Susie Heppard. She had the day off from her secretary job. And when she was on her way back from the bakery, Robert followed her all the way to her house. And then he went up and knocked on her door and when she answered she recognized him from the bakery and she was like what the fuck did i forget a baguette like what he asked her can i come in and use your yellow pages and she was like mm, kind of weirded out but he's just a dork like whatever so she let him in he flipped through the yellow pages for a while and then he was like yeah i'm not gonna i'm not finding what i'm looking for but will you go on a date with me she was like 
no. Like, what the fuck? But she just nicely told him, well, sorry, I'm, I'm engaged. I'm engaged. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, cool, 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 cool. And he left. So initially she thought he took it pretty well, but he did not take it well. Inside, he was filled with rage because another female had rejected him. So perfectly normal, perfectly natural reaction. Robert went back to her house a week later with a gun. He showed up at her house as she was getting out of her car and was like, actually surprised, I am still mad. His plan was to abduct her at gunpoint and bring her somewhere so he could sexually assault her. But as soon as he pulled that gun on her, she started screaming. Luckily her roommate heard her screaming from inside the house, looked out the window and saw the struggle and called the police. And the police got there very quickly and ended up catching Robert just like around the corner when he ran for it. So he didn't make it far. He got arrested. Now, Robert was immediately released on bail pending trial because he was a family man and a homeowner, obviously. And while out on bail on December 17th, Robert bumped into 18-year-old Patty Roberts as she was walking into a cafe to get a hot cup of tea. He awkwardly, in between stutters, asked Patty on a date. When she turned him down, he pulled a gun and forced her into his car. Robert drove Patty just outside of Anchorage to a dumpy motel where he sexually assaulted her. After which he forced her back into his car and drove her out into the Alaskan wilderness. And he told her, I'm sorry, but I can't let you go. He thought about killing her, but Patty actually convinced him that she would never go to the police about what he did to her. And he believed her and it worked. He then went through her purse and he found what I assume is her address book. And he found her parents' names and addresses. And he wrote them down on a piece of paper. And he told her, if you go to the cops, I will kill your parents. Then he drove her ass back to the cafe and dropped her off and told her, I wish we had met under different circumstances. <laughs> Ew, Robert, no. Friendly reminder, he's married with children. Just, just saying. Now, Patty did keep her vow of silence for a while, but about a week later, a body was found. On Christmas day, the body of Celia Van Zanten was found in a ravine in McHugh Creek State Park. Her hands were bound with speaker wire and she had multiple slash wounds across her chest. And her cause of death was actually exposure. She had gotten up and tried to climb out of the ravine, but couldn't do it because of her bindings. And she froze to death because it was negative five degrees Fahrenheit that night. Robert denies any involvement in Celia Van Zanten's death, but a lot of police officers believe this was Robert's first murder, but we don't know. Either way, when Patty heard about the body that was found, she just had a terrible feeling and she just decided that she needed to go to the police and tell them what happened to her. So police bring Robert Hansen in for questioning. So they have Patty's statement and they have a handwriting sample from where he signed into the motel when he sexually assaulted her. He obviously used a fake name, but it was still a handwritten signature. So when cops have Robert in the interview room, they tell him to empty out his wallet because they're going to look for something that has his handwriting on it so they can compare. And what falls out of his wallet but the handwritten note that had Patty's parents' names and addresses written on it. So they caught him and he went to jail forever the end. No, because one cop in the room was like, oh shit, do we need a warrant to go through his wallet? Are we blowing it? What if that letter is inadmissible because we didn't get a warrant to open up his wallet? So he panicked and they just took all of Robert's stuff, including the note and put it in an evidence bag and brought him to lockup because his bail was revoked because of the rape allegation. Now a rookie cop was bringing Robert to lockup and Robert tells the guy with my stuff, there's this note in there with a phone number on it. That's the guy I need to call who's gonna bail me out. So I need that note. And the cop was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll get it. And he went and he got the note and gave it to him and it was never seen again. I don't want to give this guy any credit, but that was pretty smart. <laughs> Fuck. 
Now, Robert would be found guilty in 1972 for the attempted abduction and attempted sexual assault of Susie Hepburn, the bakery customer. That part was taken seriously by law enforcement and prosecutors. But the charges were dropped on Patty's case because there was no evidence, because the note disappeared, and because cops found out that Patty was no angel. She was a party girl. So they just decided it was easier to just drop the charges completely because they had him anyway. Yay, justice! Robert was sentenced to five years, but he only served six months. But he's such a delight. And he's a family man and he owns a home. So he was put on work release and was allowed to move into a halfway house. Ew. Oh, but he's such a good swimmer. We don't want to ruin his life. As soon as Robert got out, he went right back to attacking women and he escalated to murder. Get this, get this, because it's about time I drop his MO on you. Robert began spending a ton of time on 4th Avenue at the club, picking out his targets. When he picked her, he would approach her. If she was a prostitute, he would offer $200 to $300 for oral sex. If she was a topless dancer, he would offer $300 for a nude photo shoot. Once he got her to his car, he would pull a gun and handcuff her to the seat. Then he would either take them to his home if his family wasn't around, if they weren't home, or to a motel, or just out into the wilderness to sexually assault them. Sometimes repeatedly, sometimes for days. If they weren't already out in the wilderness at this point, that's where he would take them, and then he would release them out into the wilderness, nude and exhausted, and hunt them like animals. What the fuck, Robert? Is that not the most deranged thing you have ever heard? He would seriously be like, run for it. I'll give you a head start. And he would count to 60 and then he would haunt them like a moose. And now I'm sure you're thinking about all the TV shows and movies that use this as a premise because there's actually quite a few of them. And it's all thanks to this fucker. He attacked and killed so many women starting in 71 all the way to 1983. And there were so many opportunities to catch this guy, so many. For example, 1973, Robert abducted a sex worker at gunpoint and took her out to the wilderness and sexually assaulted her. And he was going to kill her, but she convinced him that she wouldn't go to the cops. And so he actually let her go. She was a school teacher from the lower 48 that came up to Alaska to work as an exotic dancer part-time on school breaks. She reports it to the police, but the charges were dropped because the DA would not allow her to testify using a mediator. She wanted to protect her identity and her career. She didn't want people to know that she was an exotic dancer and a sex worker on the side, and she would have lost her job. So the charges were dropped and he just went on raping and killing. And then in 1976, Robert got arrested for shoplifting, stealing a chainsaw. Remember, he got a big thrill from stealing shit. Now he was arrested and he ended up being sentenced to five years for that theft, which is a little crazy to me that he got the same amount of time for stealing a chainsaw as he did for attempting to kidnap and rape a woman. Cool, 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 cool. Robert was also given court-ordered psychiatric treatment at this time for his mental health disorders, and he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at this point. But Robert would only end up serving a few months of that sentence, and the Alaska Supreme Court reduced his sentence and released him with time served for some reason. Whoops. 
Now, after that prison stay, he learned from his mistakes. No more stealing, and I need to focus on victims that the cops don't give a shit about. So he switched to only attacking sex workers so that he knew he wouldn't get any attention from law enforcement. And this was really working for him until 1980, when the first official body was found. 1980. He started in 1971. On July 21st, 1980, the remains of a woman were found buried next to a power line near Aklutna Lake Road. She was buried in a shallow grave, but the majority of her remains were eaten by wildlife. And she was actually never identified, like, what her real name was. But she was given the name Aklutna Annie. She was a sex worker that Robert had abducted and raped. Then he drove her into the wilderness so that he could release her and hunt her like an animal. His car actually got stuck on the way out there. So as he's outside of the car, messing with the car to get it unstuck, Aklutna Annie managed to get out of the car and run for it while he was distracted. He chased her, grabbed her by the hair, at which point she pulled a knife that she had kept in her purse. And they fought, he got the knife away from her, and stabbed her to death. Now, Robert claimed that Aklutna Annie was his first murder victim. But I, and probably everybody else on the planet, call bullshit. On May 19th, 1980, Robert met local topless dancer, 24-year-old Joanna Messina, and he asked her to go out for dinner. She agreed, but while they were out to dinner, she kept dropping hints like, I'm looking to make money. I'm looking for job opportunities. And he was super not getting the hint. And so finally she was like, look, dude, I am a sex worker, okay? (laughs) I'm not here for a lovely dinner. You can have sex with me if you give me money. Otherwise, I I gotta go. And Hansen said, up until that point, everything was going smoothly. But as soon as she said that, well, she went from being a decent girl to just being a whore. His words. So he refused to let her go and he refused to pay her. Then he took her and her dog out into the wilderness to a remote area by the Snow River. He shot her twice and he shot her dog once. He put her body in a gravel pit nearby and covered her with gravel and then all of her belongings and the body of her dog got thrown into the woods. Her body was found two months later on July 8th, 1980. And her body had been mostly eaten by a black bear and even worse, which how could it get any worse? Well, I'll tell you, when cops got there and they're trying to get to her body, collect evidence, get her out of there, the black bear came back for seconds and chased the officers away. And at the time, black bears were endangered, so the cops couldn't do anything. They just had to run to safety and, like, wait and watch until the bear left again. Fucking Alaska, man. On November 17th, 1981, 23-year-old topless dancer Sherry Morrow told her friends that she was meeting a photographer who promised $300 for a topless photo shoot. And she was never seen again. Robert, obviously it was Robert, (laughs) big shock, abducted her at gunpoint and took her to a hunting shack where he sexually assaulted her. When he was taking her out into the wilderness to release her and hunt her, she was nude and she was blindfolded with an ace bandage. Again, this fucker gets his car stuck in the snow. He's trying to get the car unstuck and Sherry managed to get out of the car and run. She was blindfolded in the middle of the wilderness and didn't know where she was, so she did not get far. Robert caught up with her and he said he just stood there and watched her run around and scream for a while until finally he was like, "Uh, that's enough, and he shot her. I, I visualized that, which I shouldn't have when I read that. That's disturbing. I mean, it's all disturbing, but that imagery, it's a lot. That's a lot. Then he redressed Sherry, 
and he buried her. Hunters discovered her remains a year later, on September 12th, 1982, in a shallow grave on the banks of the Knick River in Anchorage. I hope I said that right. She had been shot three times in the back with a 223 Ruger Mini 14 hunting rifle. I hope I said that right too. She was found fully clothed, but there were no holes in her clothing. Some police officers thought there was a serial killer on the loose in Alaska. Some police officers thought there was no way that any of them were connected. But those last three that I listed, Aklutna Annie, Joanna Messina, and Sherry Morrow, Alaska state troopers developed a task force to determine if those three bodies were connected. A task force they named the Topless Dancers Task Force. No notes. Now in 1981, Robert got the bright idea to make himself more respected and to contribute to helping him get away with murder. Because when he was young, he learned that his father, being a respected baker and bakery owner, business owner, he could get away with whatever because he was a business owner. So Robert decided to commit insurance fraud. He claimed that a bunch of his hunting trophies were stolen from his home. When really he just like hid them for a little bit. And he got $13,000. And he used that to open up his own bakery. So he was the proud owner of Hanson Bakery, conveniently located right by the Tenderloin District. And the persona worked for him right away. Robert abducted and raped a sex worker in 1981. And she managed to escape his camper and run for it through the woods. She was naked and she had deep lacerations around her wrists and her ankles from being tied with guitar strings. Fucking ow. She found help, got to the police, and she identified Robert Hansen as her attacker. By name, specifically. Robert Hansen did this to me. But police straight up didn't believe her because she was a sex worker. And they were like, Bob the Baker? You're crazy. He's a business owner. And they just dropped the charges. They just took his side over her side. Can you imagine the rage? Can you imagine the rage? Well, that worked so well that Robert decided to use the remaining funds he got from the insurance fraud to buy himself a little bush plane for his hunting. Uh-oh. And this is when he began taking his victims by plane to super remote areas that were only accessible by a bush plane. Now on to 1983 and this fucker's demise. In June, 1983, 17-year-old Cindy Paulson escaped Robert Hansen. Now, if you've seen the movie, The Frozen Ground that I mentioned earlier, this character of Cindy Paulson was played by Vanessa Hudgens. High School Musical, you know? At this point, Robert had just gotten done fixing up his basement, what he called his summer project, and he sent his family off on a trip to Europe. So he was anxious to get to work using his new cool basement rape room. Robert met Cindy and offered her $200 for oral sex. When she got into his car, however, pulled a gun and he handcuffed her. He drove her to his home and brought her down into the basement. He held her captive there and he obviously raped her and tortured her. Then he shackled her to an eye bolt that was in the wall and left her there and went to sleep on the couch nearby in the basement. Ew. And while he slept peacefully, Cindy sat there memorizing her surroundings. When he woke up from his beauty sleep, he put Cindy in his car and drove her to the Merrillfield airstrip to put her in his bush plane. And he told her, as long as you do what I say and you behave, you'll be fine. She wasn't a fucking idiot. And we all know what would have happened to her if she got into that bush plane. So Cindy's in the back seat, handcuffed in front of her body, half dressed. And Robert got out of the car and he started loading shit into the cockpit of his plane. And when he turned his back, she got through into the front seat, out the driver's side door, 
and ran for it. And she left her shoes on the passenger side backseat floor as proof that she was in his car. Robert turns around and looks and sees her running. He's like, oh shit. He panics and starts chasing her with his gun. But she got to 6th Avenue first just as a truck was going by. A good Samaritan sees this disheveled, handcuffed, half-naked, barefoot girl running in the street. And he sees some guy with a gun chasing after her. And luckily he stopped and grabbed her and put her in the truck and took her somewhere safe. And Robert was like, whoop. He just went back to his plane to go clean up. Cindy asks the Good Samaritan to take her to a local motel, which was the motel that her and her pimp conducted business. As soon as the truck stopped, she hopped out and ran inside. The guy in the truck was like, do I just go to work now? Luckily, he went to the cops and reported everything that happened. Luckily, because Cindy did not call the cops, which is understandable. She was a 17-year-old traumatized sex worker, terrified, probably very frightened to call the cops. But either way, cops showed up to the inn and they found her still handcuffed and alone at the inn. Cindy described Robert Hansen in great detail, described everything that happened to her, described the inside of his home in great detail, described his car, his plane. Officer Greg Baker, the lead investigator on the case, took Cindy to the hospital and afterwards she demanded to go to the airstrip so that she could point out his plane. When they pulled up to Robert Hansen's house, it was exactly as Cindy described it. Then as they get there, Robert pulled into the driveway in a car exactly as Cindy described it. He got out, he was calm and friendly and he invited the detectives into his house to take a look around. When they got inside, it was exactly as Cindy described it, full of dead animal heads and antlers. But that was it. There was no incriminating evidence. There was only proof that she had been there, that she had been in his car. They couldn't find the weapon that Cindy described. They couldn't find the eye bolt that she described that she was shackled to. Because when she took off running, Robert went straight home and cleaned up, even removing the eye bolt and puttying the hole. Fuck. Now, Robert was still brought in for questioning. He denied all of her allegations, obviously, and he said, she's just a sex worker. She's just trying to make trouble for me because I won't pay her extortion demands. And the cops were like, this guy? He's such a dork. Now, Robert told the cops that he was with a friend when Cindy said she was attacked. And when the friend, John Henning, was called, he confirmed Robert's alibi. Now, John Henning did later say that the alibi was a lie, but he felt the same way as the cops did. Like, Bob, Bob the Baker? He's such a dork. There's no way he's a rapist. So he assumed the I'm being framed by an angry sex worker story was true. And he covered for his buddy. Oops. They also checked to see if Robert had a record. And he came back clean. So because Robert looked so clean and had an alibi and he was a business owner and not a sex worker, they actually asked Cindy to take a lie detector test. And she was pissed. And she was like, fuck you, no, I'm out. So with no evidence, because Cindy was uncooperative, they sent Robert home and dropped the charges. Yay. Now you may be asking, wait, he did have a record. Why did he come up clean? Because the police station in Anchorage was in the process of updating their record system to being digitized. It was the 80s. They were trying to get the new cool computer system. Not all the records had been updated into the new system yet, and they didn't know that. So it was just an oversight and probably miscommunication that they didn't see Robert's criminal record that went all the way back to when he was a kid. Great! But the police officer that was the lead investigator on Cindy's case, he didn't buy this shit. 
He believed Cindy, and he thought Robert Hansen was a big old creepy weirdo, and he knew that the records were in the process of being digitized, so he called Juno and asked for a hard copy of Robert Hansen's criminal record, and he got it. And it was long. So Officer Greg Baker went on a mission to get Robert Hansen. But he was stuck where he was in the Anchorage Police Department. And nobody but him thought it was Robert. So he compiled all the evidence and all the paperwork that he had on Robert Hansen. And he brought it to the Topless Dancer Task Force. Meanwhile, the Topless Dancer's Task Force was combing the wilderness looking for more bodies. And they found a fourth on September 2nd, 1983. The body was that of 30-year-old Paula Goulding. She was an exotic dancer that Robert Hansen kidnapped and raped and killed. Big shock, right? Robert had followed the same MO with Paula Goulding as he did with the others, but when police found her body in a shallow grave, fully clothed, but with no holes in her clothing, despite bullet holes in her body, they knew that this body was connected to the other three that they'd found. Detective Glenn Flothy, who was actually combined with Officer Baker to create Nicolas Cage's character in that movie, the frozen ground. Fun fact. He was an Alaska state trooper and he was on the topless dancers task force. And he had been busy compiling a list of sex workers that had gone missing that nobody was looking for. And he found 10 women who said they were going on high paid dates the day they went missing. He's on to him, but he needed help narrowing down the suspect. So for help, he reached out to FBI criminal profiler, John Douglas, one of the original criminal profilers who you may know from being portrayed in the show Mindhunters. Ever heard of him? So John Douglas helped Detective Flothy come up with an offender profile. And this is crazy. John thought that the killer would be an experienced hunter with low self-esteem, would have a history of being rejected by women, would feel compelled to keep souvenirs from his kills. He was probably a business owner with a family. And he probably also had a speech impediment, like a stutter or a lisp. Fucking unreal. Criminal profiling, man... Fascinating. So Detective Flofi got to work narrowing down suspects based on the profile that also happened to own a small plane because several of the bodies were found in areas that were only accessible by small bush plane. And then as if by some sort of magic, in walks Officer Baker with an envelope with everything that Detective Flofi needed to know about Robert Hansen. And he was like, my coworkers completely dropped the ball on this guy. So I've come to join the topless dancers task force. And your boy Robert fit the profile perfectly, obviously. On October 27th, 1983, they managed to get a warrant to go search Robert Hansen's home again. And this case actually set the precedent that FBI profiles could be used to secure a warrant on a suspect. So that's neat. It was an exhaustive search and they almost didn't find anything. But after a hell of a hunt, they did find jewelry belonging to some of the missing victims and a bunch of firearms arms all hidden away in the corner of the attic in the insulation. Behind Robert's headboard, they found an aeronautical chart, a map with 37 little handwritten X's all over the map. And Detective Flothy noticed right away that four of those X's were on the locations where his four bodies were found. And yes, I did say 37. There were 37 X's on Robert's map. So Robert Hansen was arrested, obviously. 
actually, for real this time. He was questioned and confronted with all of the evidence that they found in his house. And he denied it for as long as he could, but gradually he started slipping up. And he said he only hired these women because he wanted oral sex. But his wife was such a good Lutheran, he would never ask her to do something like that. And then eventually he started to blame the women to justify his actions, saying if they would have stayed calm and done what he said, he wouldn't have had to kill them. And he also said, you can't rape a prostitute, can you? Oh, Robert. So his goose was cooked, especially after ballistic tests on his weapons returned a match to some of the shell casings found at some of the crime scenes. But of course, Robert got himself a plea bargain. Tale as old as time. Robert was ready to confess and he agreed to plead guilty, but only to the four that police already knew about. And he agreed to provide details of his other victims and agreed to help police decipher his map and to find his remaining victims that were still out there. In exchange, he wanted to be tried outside of Alaska and to go to a specific federal prison outside of Alaska, which he said was to protect his family. And in exchange for no press coverage. I'm not really sure how they managed to swing that, but I think that's probably why he's not as well known as some of the other serial killers out there. Because he didn't get press coverage. On paper, Robert committed four murders, when in actuality he killed at least 21 and raped at least 31, probably more. When cops agreed to his terms, they took him out to find where all the X's marked the spots, and Robert ended up leading detectives to 17 grave sites, 12 of which the police were unaware of. There were marks on his map that he refused to give up because he's a dick. It's theorized that he didn't give those up because it's believed that those victims were not sex workers. So either he was worried that he would get more time from their killings or he couldn't justify their killings with himself because they weren't sex workers. Robert Hansen was sentenced to 461 years without the chance of parole. And he ended up dying on August 21st, 2014 at the age of 75 from natural causes, from lingering health issues. Yuck. The other victims that I haven't named yet that we know of are as follows, because I feel it's important to name them all. On July 7th, 1973, 17-year-old Megan Emmerich vanished. She was last seen at her boarding school in Seward, Alaska. Robert denied any involvement, but he was in Seward at the time and there was an X nearby on his map. 22-year-old Mary Kathleen Phil also disappeared from Seward. On July 5th, 1975, Robert denied any involvement with her death as well. But again, Robert was in the area. There was an X nearby on his map and Robert actually told former inmates that he did kill both Megan and Mary. June 28th, 1980, 24-year-old Roxanne Eastland disappeared. Robert admitted to killing her, but her body was never found. On September 7th, 1980, Robert kidnapped 41-year-old Lisa Futrell. Her body was discovered four years later. On May 9th, 1984, buried next to a gravel pit south of the former Knick Bridge. On July 10th, 1981, 28-year-old dancer Malay Larson went missing and her body was discovered in a parking lot on April 24th. 1984. December 2nd, 1981, 24-year-old Andre Fish Altieri was killed by Robert and she was identified when her distinctive fish necklace was discovered in Robert's home. On May 26th, 1982, 23-year-old topless dancer Sue Luna disappeared. Robert buried her in the Knick River and he led police to her body. On July 19th, 1983, 19-year-old Robin Pelkey disappeared. Her body was found on April 25th, 1984 and her body fit the description of women that Robert targeted. It wasn't until October 
2021 that her identity was discovered through genealogy. August 20th, 1985, a pilot trying out new tires discovered the body of 22-year-old Delyn Renee Fry. She was not identified at the time of her discovery and was labeled a Jane Doe until 1989 when an Alaska State Trooper recognized her jewelry in a case file photo from Robert Hansen's file. 22-year-old dancer Teresa Watson disappeared on March 25th, 1983. Hansen kidnapped her at Scenic Lake, but after killing her, he was unable to bury her because the ground was still frozen, so he just left her there, and her remains were found on May 17th, 1984. 24-year-old Angela Lynn Fettern disappeared in February 1983. She wasn't reported missing right away, but the nightclub owner where she worked reported her missing in May. Her body was found about a year later in a small lake near the larger Figure 8 Lake. 20-year-old Tammy Peterson, a nightclub dancer, disappeared on August 7th, 1982, and her body was not discovered until Hansen took police to find her gravesite. Of those 18 women, Hansen was only formerly charged with four. Aklutna Annie, Sherry Morrow, Joanna Messina, and Paula Goulding. He was also charged with the kidnapping and rape of Cindy Paulson. There were 37 exes on that map. I think he killed more than 21. I do. And the moral of the story is, I don't know, don't bully kids in school. And if you do get bullied, don't become a serial killer about it. Okay? Well, that one was a doozy. I'm sorry if this is a long episode. He killed a lot of people. But thank you so much for watching today's episode of Cleaning and Crime. I hope you enjoyed it. It's pretty brutal. Thank you for listening to Cleaning and Crime. If you'd like more content from me or you want to see the cleaning side of things, check me out on YouTube or TikTok or follow my socials, all of which are under the name C. Elise. S-E-E-E-L-I-S-E. If you have any questions or any case ideas that you'd like to share, email me at cleanclean at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, feel free to rate, review, and subscribe. These episodes include my personal opinions, and all information is compiled by me using references that are publicly available. Sources are included in the show notes. All parties described are innocent until proven guilty. See you next time.